do a cold open. <laughs> right, right. You know, with that kind of language, we'll definitely get censored. So you could say all the all the potty mouth words you want to say. Okay, great. I'm a conductor and I fucking love music. <laughs> <laughs> Okay. Uh, Zivon did not like it. <laughs> no, just let, just shoot from the hip. Okay. Okay. Hello, and welcome back to Famous Last Words, a makings of film, filmmaking, making film, film appreciation. Watching pod- films. Yeah. Yeah. yeah talking I, about films. I am Andrew Alden, and you are Teresa Alden, and we are. Um, I forgot the bit. It's been so long. We're not related by oh, blood. Oh, right, right. Married. We're married. Not right. Blood. And we're joined on the phone uh, <laughs> by the one, the only. This is your cue. Nathan Howard. <laughs> Hi. <laughs> Welcome, Nathan. Welcome, Nathan. <laughs> Nathan, who are you, and what is your deal? Um. What. I am a graduate student, uh, essentially uh, studying conducting and music theory. What, um, what does the conducting I of trains have to do enjoy, with music? Enjoy. Mm-hmm. Does con- oh, that, fantastic! Yeah, I, 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 I'm, I'm trying to conduct orchestras, <laughs> but trains is a nice backup because <laughs> I think public transportation is very important. It, it is indeed, and, you know, and uh, and. Uh, how pray tell do we know each other? Oh yeah, so um, Andrew comes in and works in Dallas as the director for the Dallas Symphony's uh, video productions, and I essentially come in and I follow along at a score, and I say ready and when it's time for Andrew to do something. <laughs> yeah, well, you, you am might... I wrong though? No, no, that's basically right. You say ready and upwards of like seven hundred to a thousand times. Exactly. Over the course yeah, and of then like occasionally two and... I'll say a number. <laughs> if, that, if you could read my handwriting. Ready and two hundo. <laughs> That's basically all I do. That, that, <laughs> it's great. That is a, yeah. And we also made a short film together. Uh, we did. You know, it, it's a, we can't, I don't think we can say too much about it, but it's a classical music-ish movie about artists and obsessions and you led the orchestra which is or the chamber orchestra which is in the in the movie yes yeah that was actually a very fun project i was quite scared about it all working logistically (laughs) yeah um (laughs) especially since i was getting the musicians and all of that but it was it was it was quite fun yeah Uh, i'm excited to see what it ends up looking like yeah we're about halfway 30 30 to 30 to 50 percent through the edit and uh oh awesome it's looking great. You are heavily featured. Uh oh. No, but nobody's nobody's <laughs> conducting reel is going to look as good as yours. Oh, thank you, thank you. <laughs> I, mean, I mean, I do get the tar shot. You which did is get good, the, right? Yeah. It, it benefits you that the room that we were in, the best feature, was straight up from where you were standing. <laughs> yeah, I'm. I'm going to start for like for tapes. I'm going to put a secondary camera down below me, <laughs> just to switch between whenever I feel like it. Right, <laughs> like, please hire moments. me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I would say that a big part of us getting to know each other too, as we are both uh, big fans of uh, movies, and not the kind of yes. you know, not the exact usual fare. You know. Yeah. Yeah. 
Uh, yeah. So, and your and your knowledge of movies is uh, you know on par with my own, which is also a exciting exciting thing to have happen. Yeah, I, I don't I don't know if I'm quite on par, but it's more I don't know. I like to think of myself as like I don't know. I like I really enjoy, let me put it this way. I enjoy movies as someone who doesn't really know that much about them or doesn't do it professionally in the same way that I would want someone to come to a concert. You know what I mean? It, like, does that make sense? Yeah, that makes sense. A solid like, appreciator. Like, yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm a solid appreciator who likes spending their free time and money doing that, <laughs> like learning about it and yeah. watching films. Yeah. Yeah, but I would also, I would also character, I mean, I know you don't like praise, so this is, I'm sure making your okay, skin crawl right. um but you're also a, a, a charismatic thinker uh oh wow yeah, <laughs> yeah put blow, that on blow, your blow you over put that yeah, on your yeah, resume yeah. <laughs> hailed as a charismatic thinker by this guy on a podcast <laughs> nathan howard is a conductor from dallas texas <laughs> yeah <laughs> right yeah you, you can phrase it however you want you want yeah, yeah, like, yeah. but uh i i think that you uh you know you've you've read your philosophy and you and that's yeah. reflected on your list here of movies, mm -hmm. um, and we will, like, you know, guide the people along with the carrot, so we won't tell them a whole list all the way through, just in case you know they're holding out hope that you know we are going to talk about the Avengers on the fourth pick. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, we, yeah. So, would you like to hear the list? N no, no, we're just going to go number one by one. one. Oh, number, going, what's okay, number good, one good. on your list? Number one is uh, the Tree of Life by Terrence Malick. There are two ways through life: the way of nature. In the way of grace. You have to choose which one you'll follow. We're alligators. You'll be grown before that tree is tall. It takes fierce will to get ahead in this world. Come on, hit me. Hit me. Come on, son. He's afraid of you. You expect things that a mulling adult can accomplish. Heard of it? Heard of it? Yeah, pretty, pretty solid film. You know? <laughs> yeah. Um. <laughs> Great. Perfect. Yeah. That, yeah. 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 No, Charismatic no. thinker rescinded. <laughs> exactly. I know. Like you really shouldn't have said that. Um. <laughs> From 2011, the Tree of Life is I. The way I. I'd love to hear how you describe this movie to people, but I kind of feel like the most reductive but maybe easiest way is it's a character you don't really see reflecting on his childhood and his kind of abusive father's relationship to uh, mm -hmm. to his mother and to his brother and maybe one of the brothers. I guess one of the brothers is dead. Yes. Um, and uh, it's shot really beautifully and it's very... Uh, ephemeral mm -hmm. yes how do you yeah. describe this movie i when i when i describe this and i know terrence malick has said like in interviews that like this isn't a christian film and in a certain sense like i like i both agree and disagree with him but like uh, like the central i think issue that he's exploring and not necessarily answering but like honestly exploring is like the problem of evil or why do good things happen to bad people you know what i mean which mm -hmm. is something that is very articulated within the christian tradition but it's not exclusive you know what i mean like every single faith tradition has some 
version of this question. Yeah. Yeah. You know? And I think that the the uh, coming from my perspective, which is one of less a less religious perspective, it's also the like, I mean, they say explicitly in the trailer, it's the way of like nature, like it's man, it's man determining their own fate versus nature. And by that sense, faith determining their their path. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And it's and, and yeah. And just dealing dealing with grief and still having this. I don't know. I don't know, not belief in God, but like belief in the good or openness to life. Right. You know, you, you know what I mean? Like in the face of like what is essentially like for Jessica Chastain's character, like the ultimate tragedy of her son dying. Right. You know? Right. And and also, I guess, Brad Pitt's. It's also a yes. tragedy for Brad Pitt, but they mm-hmm. they they show it in different ways. And, yeah. you know, Sean Penn is in it sort of, mm-hmm. I guess. But it, yes. he's he's the older he's the older version of the son who lives, yes. and uh, the movie's mainly told through flashback, starting with like the dawn of man, like, mm-hmm. the dawn of the dawn of everything, right? Because dinosaurs. The, but even before that, like <laughs> yeah, true. The the, yeah, the, Mosa, the the big bang. Yeah, the mm-hmm. Lacrimosa mm-hmm. sequence is all yeah. You know the formation of the universe, I guess. Yeah, which which is very like because I know the film starts with a quotation of Job. Um, I, I forget which which exact one, but I think it's like the where where were you when I laid the foundations of the earth, and that entire scene where it shows the Big Bang, um, with the Lacrimosa is like preceded by Jessica Chastain's character in a typical Malick fashion, having a voiceover whisper asking <laughs> why, you know what I mean? It's just mm-hmm. why Lacrimosa Big Bang, you know what I mean? It's just so heavily. Job influenced, I think, you know? Yeah. Isn't the tree of life like referenced in a religion? Like, I want to say it's in the Old Testament, but in like connected more to Judaism than Christianity. See, I, 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 I wouldn't know that. And, and, and like to your point, like the, this kind of like looking at evil and especially its heavy, like heavy connection to Job, you know, you could say that this is something that is like very much within Judaism as well. Mm hmm. We'll have to fact-check this. I I believe that. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, we're going to fact-check. Yeah, Yeah. we'll we'll fact-check at the end. Um, But yeah, no, I mean, I think that the... This movie is particularly interesting because we... Teresa and I were talking about this last night, and you and I have talked about it in a similar fashion, is like, we don't... I mean, this movie is, again, what, 12 years old, and... Mm -hmm what we value as a society is we do not value our, our poets nearly the same way that we even did 11 years ago, uh, 12 years ago, because this mm-hmm. movie is such a, like, it's a huge, they poured a shit ton of money into this movie. Mm-hmm. Um, and it is asked more questions than it answers. And it's at times kind of looks like the nature channel and, yes. um, has kind of bad CG dinosaurs, which I kind of wish <laughs> weren't in it because I feel like that's, that's something that people point to and are like... Yeah, because like the, the Big Bang stuff looks astounding, and it's by the guy who did that kind of ending sequence in 2001. Right, mm-hmm. yeah. Uh, you know, Trumbull, like that yeah. just looks... Doug Trumbull, yeah. yeah. Um, um, I think, dinos. But I think you're right. I think it has to do with like how commercial cinema has changed. Like The fact that we don't have as, as many movie theaters and it's a little bit more difficult to get people to go out to movie theaters has changed the types of movies that they'll pour money into because before Mm -hmm. people would go out to go see a movie like Tree of Life in the theater because it's a spectacle. Now I feel like it needs to be 
usually a huge spectacle, either like a gigantic biopic or like the with yeah, or a Marvel movie or Yeah, or or <laughs> on, and, and the only people who can get away with it are like these legacy people. Like it's mm-hmm. literally only like Martin Scorsese that can still get like two hundred million dollars to do like Killers of the Flower Moon. And Christopher you know Nolan I mean? can kind of exactly. get away with it. Yeah. Right. Yeah, it's it's there's nobody new, honestly, that has access to that budget or distribution or like mm-hmm. all of this. You know what I mean? So like all of these people who are looking to make something where their like primary mode of making it is like purely artistic and i don't mean to denigrate other things that are supposed to be more in entertainment but because you know i i love a good action movie but oh yeah and i'm going out to see the barbie movie yeah yeah but like (laughs) like the people exactly but you know like the people who want to do this stuff like they they can't get big budgets anymore Mm -hmm. right and and you go to see you now go to see like a different like people go to see the A twenty four movie, they go to see the Marvel movie, they go to see mm-hmm. um and it's less like you know, like fifty years ago predates all of us, but you know, people would go see whatever the new Bergman movie was, whatever the new yeah. mm-hmm. Scorsese movie is. That's I mean that but that only exists for very few people. I will still go see the new Malik movie based on the director and if David Lynch makes a new movie, which I don't think he's ever gonna do again. Yeah. Um I'd go see the new David Lynch movie, but we're seeing the David Lynch movie. We're not even seeing like the story of, you know, whatever, you know, we're not, you're not following the star either. You're not following the star either. And it's interesting because I wonder how many people that are going to go see Oppenheimer Mm -hmm. are going Mm -hmm. to see the new Chris Nolan movie or going to see a biopic about Oppenheimer. I'm guessing it's more people going to see a Chris Nolan movie. I would yes yeah he's he he's like he's like the exception that proves the rule almost right mm-hmm. you know it's yeah which you know good for him like he doesn't make I mean yeah. most of his movies are quite good yes. yeah yeah and I think you that know, one's like, supposed to be really great yeah 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 I I think I mean it looks amazing um, but we're not yeah. talking about that movie necessarily <laughs> back to Terrence Malick for a second so super interesting career something that you would never see really happen today unless they were European. Um, which is a gross generalization, but you'll understand my point in a second, is he made Badlands and then he made Days of Heaven, which was, mm-hmm. both of them grew on the success and Days of Heaven was a was a massive success. It's a beautiful movie uh, shot by some of the, you know, uh, you know, shot in Ontario, looks like Texas. And then <laughs> he walked away for 20 years. I know. Um, <laughs> which is really interesting because he walked away for the deck. He came back Right when society started to care about movies, because during the 80s, there was less of an appreciation in American cinema on, you know, profound messages. And he comes back with The Thin Red Line. Um, yeah. And then after The Thin Red Line, another period of silence, what, a 20, almost a 20 year silence before Tree of Life. Oh, no, there's New yeah. World. There's oh, New, New World. World. New yeah. World. Mm-hmm. But still, and now he's kind of pumped out. You know, four movies, right? Night of Cups. Yeah, no, to the I mean, well, like he, he, yeah, he pumped out that tr- that that kind of the mega poetic trilogy quite quickly. Right, uh, song to song, yeah. Night of Cups, mm-hmm. and To the Wonder. Um, I guess my question is for you: is do do his feel do his movies feel to you like they're tech movies about Texas, and particularly movies about Texas for someone like you, who is uh, someone who 
thinks about faith, thinks about their place in the cosmos, do they feel like personally tailored to you in a way that like, I'm always interested in what Texas looks like, but I don't have, you know, when I watched most of his movies for the first time, I had never yeah. been to Texas or only been there very sparingly. Yeah, no, it's, well, for, for me, it's, I don't think it's necessarily the, the connection to Texas because I moved here when I was 15 and before I'd lived in Chicago and I'd lived in Florida. Um, so there, there was, I don't know. And, and I do think the way he kind of shoots, uh, like the, 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 the bulk of the movie, which is about like these kids is when they're children, it is done. It feels universal, even though it is very much set in a specific time in a specific place. Like there's that scene where there are like, I don't know, not these crop dusters, but like the like pest control and they're just like spraying chemicals to like help people's lawns and the kids are playing in them. And, you know, that would never happen. And like it, it's, you know what I mean? Those chemicals and the exposure to them in like neighborhoods is now illegal. Right, right. Yeah. But it's, you a, know, it's particularly tied to that time and place for sure. Yeah. It, but, but it like, despite that, it's still the childhood, the relationships between the brothers I don't know. He he almost structures his characters and especially the parents in a way that feels very like archetypal. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like a lot of the, I don't know for better or for worse. I'm sure there's plenty of critiques about this, but like a lot of the women in his films are like you could say the same in like the New World, um, are more at peace and like working with nature where the men are kind of stumbling about and the women are more nurturing and the men are still to a certain extent, like dealing with their own demons. You know what I mean? Like Brad Pitt was, which his like need for success, Christian Bale and in, in the new world and his like uneasiness about this relationship, you know? Right. Right. And I think it's a theme that, that, uh, you know, he does portray his women as angelic and uh, yes, absolutely. And I mean, they are even like you could say that if you're looking at Badlands, right, or mm-hmm. or Days of Heaven, that the women in those movies, um, you know, Sissy Spacek in particular mm-hmm. in Badlands is is almost like an archetype of 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 virgin virgin like uh desire and uh like she has a very innocence in a way yeah. that kind of carries through to jessica chastain because we actually don't spend that t- any time with her when she isn't in a grieving process and entry of life mm-hmm. it's all in these kind of dreamlike sequences yes yeah so uh, i have a question okay go mm-hmm. why is this one of your picks why is this one of your favorites okay so like for 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 all of the things that might make it feel like locked in a time and place you know like okay this is about texas in this period of time and there's a lot of for lack of a better term i think like christian imagery especially in the final scenes of the tree of life it's not necessarily about any of that it's much more broad and universal and for for a film to tackle like maybe like one of the most integral questions to the human experience which is like why do I suffer? And ultimately, and for it to take it seriously in a poetic manner and tell a story and not necessarily answer the question. And it's like, I don't like the fact that it, it respects the question enough not to answer it is I think one of the reasons I picked it 
You know what I mean? And, mm-hmm. and this is also like I, I grew up and, you know, Andrew didn't. I grew up in a Christian household. Um, and like a lot of my like grandparents and stuff were like missionaries. My great aunt was on the cover of Time for like her missionary work. <sighs> like, 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 so like, a, like a very Christian family. And I was exposed to a lot of quote unquote Christian art growing up that I that didn't necessarily take it seriously. It was more concerned with trying to get you to agree with religious dogma rather than it was exploring these questions that are ultimately unanswerable to a certain extent. That's interesting. Yeah, like exploring the human condition. Yes. Without getting too into the dogma. I get that, yeah. Yeah, and it's... Yeah, yes, Andrew. No, no, go ahead. (laughs) Oh, no, I was... It's... Because fundamentally, the, the, the questions that are really worth asking, like, they don't have answers or else we wouldn't keep asking them. <laughs> right, right. I, you know, it's... It, it, how did your, did your, has your family, your, you know, immediate family seen, extended family seen Tree of Life? And, and is it a movie that they, is it a movie that they kind of feel, like, I don't know, I don't know your family, but in the religious communities, when Tree of Life came out uh, over a decade ago... How do you feel people feel about this? Because another movie on your list, the next movie we're talk about, is much more kind of oh, aggressively yeah. anti-religious, in my opinion. Yes. Well, the well, at least in the Tree of Life, I think like my dad is the only one who has seen it, and he tends to be like more open about this stuff. So he he actually liked it, and then we proceeded to have discussions based on kind of what Christian art has become in the last century. And it's kind of, in in a lot of senses, I think like lost its artistic quality. You know what I mean? Like like any, anyone who's like serious about the history of music or the history of literature would, would would never go about saying that like, Oh, good Christian art doesn't exist. You know what I mean? We have box St. St. Matthew's passion. We have Dante's Inferno, you know, like all of this stuff is, widely regarded regardless of one's personal faith you know what i mean mm-hmm. and i don't know he 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 ended up agreeing with me but i think this this film even though it's not intended for christians to watch you know what i mean it's intended for everyone to watch like it is actually making good art about some of these ideas in a way that makes it like the, that might made my dad maybe slightly more critical of a lot of the media that he was surrounded by in the church when we were growing up. Right. Yeah, because when I saw it, it was, you know, it was a different perspective, but I, I realized the the uh, Christian, you know, message or the Christian, uh, you know, it doesn't shy away from it, but I think it's an interesting, like it, I feel like a lot of faith-based movies are almost like caricatures of-, of Oh, of they're story- jokes, yeah. Yeah, they're, they're <laughs> characters of storytelling. And this is like kind of, rises above above it all and says you know creates a a poem that just so happens to feature religious ideas exactly yeah i i I do sometimes when i describe this film to people because i'm no longer religious and i still find this film very meaningful um is that like i feel like i have to talk about the religious elements to it but i have to sell it in a way that doesn't make them think that this is a film for religious people by religious people about religion because it's not really any of that right you know it's like like in the same way that i don't know like 
I, I like I feel like like someone who is like maybe artistically minded, they're not going to have, well, like they're going to be able to see a film that is like adjacent to Islam in the same way that this is and still appreciate it. Or like take another like if you want a Jewish take on the Book of Job, like go watch a serious man. You know what I mean? <laughs> right, like right. it's. You know, I mean, granted, there, 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 there's definitely more biting humor in that, but right, it's, yes, like, it, like in no way should someone's lack of belief stop them from seeing the tree of life in the same way that it should stop them from seeing a serious man. Well, actually, yeah, that's an interesting point because I like, as soon as you said it, I realized all of the connection, and didn't you know that's not my first impression when I watch it, and I'm formally Christian as well, but on the Catholic side. Um, so like, you know, thinking deeper about it and talking about it, I'm like, oh yeah, that totally makes sense. But, you know, my instinct was more about like the, the tragedy of life and families yeah, and how yeah. that like shapes you as an adult. And Exactly. Yeah. And like, and the, the, the tree of life, even though it kind of has this, well, like the ending sequence can be interpreted and I'm sure is interpreted by people of faith as like heaven kind of, you know, where Jessica Chastain is reconciled with her, 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 her dead son and the entire mm-hmm. family is reconciled to that dead son. Mm-hmm. But for, from someone who isn't like religious, there's still the important question of like, how do you deal with tragedy and remain open? Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. and, and that, that I think, is something that everyone can get out of this film and it approaches that you know it doesn't trivialize the tragedy it never once tries to make the tragedy less than it is and it doesn't explain it either Mm -hmm. it's just people's personal relationship to like opening themselves back up to the world after this do you know what i mean yeah yeah would you feel i i kind of feel like um tree of life is a is a new testament film despite its grounding in the ancient world. Um, yeah. Where, you know, and I, this is, I'm, I'm pivoting us, but uh, whereas <laughs> yes. I feel our next movie, uh, First Reformed from 2017, is kind of Old Testament in, in, mm-hmm. in its sense of, like, wrath and justice. I've decided to keep a journal to set down all my thoughts and the simple events of my day. I will keep this diary for one year, and at the end of that time, it will be destroyed. encouraged my son to enlist. It was a family tradition. Six months later, he was dead in Iraq. I was lost. My son's the reading of the Lord. Praise be God. So how are you? I'm fine. No, really. It's been a while since we've talked. Even a pastor needs a pastor. Did you see the doctor? You need someone to take care of you. I want you to be happy. I know that nothing can change. And I know there is no hope. First Reformed is the second movie on your list, and it's about Ethan Hawke plays a small town minister, um, kind of in the eclipse, being eclipsed by a much bigger megachurch, um, and he's grappling with mounting despair um, with a parishioner who really brings to light and lets him focus his depression towards uh, environmental issues. Mm-hmm. Um, is, what, how, is that you know? First Reformed is like one of my favorite movies. Uh, yes. And, and uh, what? How do you? Why First Reformed? Um, for a few reasons. Um, it. 
But like, like the most fundamental reason is that I think as someone who is legitimately concerned about climate change and is, you, you know what I mean? And feels kind of helpless with the amount of power that I have, like, wow, I can vote for people who all of them aren't really serious about stopping this. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, or I can vote with my meager dollar that I don't have lots of because I'm a freaking graduate student. But you are you know a charismatic I mean? like, thinker. Right, yeah. Yeah, yeah. no, but these, I mean, there's, there's, I can't vote harder. <laughs> and I don't think spending money on consumption leads to anything. Right. You right. know what I mean? It's like there, there, there's a true sense of like helplessness in the face of like our modern political system. And it's kind of like anti-democratic fail-safes, like either in the Supreme Court or in the Senate um, or even the Electoral College, you know what I mean? It's And for a film to truly encapsulate that sense of almost like political despair mm-hmm. um, is just like, I don't think any film and, and has done it for this time as well. You know what I mean? Because of course there's political despair in the in like the history of film, but like this specific 21st century illness you know what i mean like i i've never seen a film have its finger on the pulse it's so well it's one of the more profound films basically surrounded by the fact of we're fucked <laughs> yes. yeah yeah and, and what do i do and then there's also the and paul schrader studied calvin theology right theology um i don't think he's a believing person i i doubt that very much or like like maybe in a very abstract sense, but you know what I mean. He doesn't strike me as the person who's like going to church. Where I could totally see Terrence Malick just showing up to a Catholic mass. Yeah, you know what I mean. Like a yeah, high yeah. mass, like mm-hmm. wearing his weird hat. You know what I mean. Like <laughs> his Tilly and, hat. And, yeah, and you, you know what I mean. Like Terrence Malick would absolutely like. And then the next day he'll show up at an Eastern Orthodox service, and then he'll go to a charismatic church. You know what I mean. Like <laughs> that's Terrence Malick in my mind. Right. Right. You, yeah. you know. Yeah. Not Paul Schrader, but. Paul Schrader, and, and this is the thing, because like, as someone who is now not religious, who doesn't necessarily find the arguments of like the new atheists compelling, like I think their knowledge of the Christian tradition is purposefully obtuse, so they have something easier to argue against. Like, it's nice to see someone who, while they might not be a believer, to like actually grapple with what, like, like the depth that Christianity can have. And the fights within Christianity, like the first scene, like you look at his bookshelf and it's Kierkegaard and Thomas Merton. Right. You know, and that for me is like an instant like, oh, this guy, we're, we're, we're going to be talking about serious stuff here. And we're going to be talking about the actual, the best of the Christian tradition, well, like intellectual tradition, I guess, you know. Right, right. And even more so that we're, these movies are similar in the sense that they ask questions and don't necessarily give you the like, yes. Don't give you the answers. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, this movie uh, is, of course, very, very tied to um, two other movies that also deal with similar aspects: Diary of a Country Priest by Robert Bresson and um, Winterlight. Winterlight, yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and Winterlight, maybe even more directly. Um, but it's a it's an interesting updating of the same questions of what it means like what is faith what is spirituality what is 
Yeah. What? But th- this movie, unlike those other two movies, is completely tied to like the scumbag billionaire character. Yes. Mm-hmm. Um, and and the 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 conflict between the mega church and the traditional smaller parish. Actually, can you give us a quick little like plot of the film? I think we skipped that. Uh, of, and I just want to like film? contextualize this a little bit. Uh, first Reformed. First Reformed. You, you want to go ahead, Nathan? Okay. Um, it has been a few years since I've seen this, so please update me. <laughs> okay. uh, like if, if I'm... So uh, Ethan Hawke plays... Um, he, he's essentially a... Not, not a priest, but he's like the reverend of a more liturgical, smaller, pre- uh, smaller parish. I think they're Presbyterian or... Um, Oh, I don't, I don't know. Fact check me on that. Yeah. But like a smaller, more liturgical parish that you find out has later was essentially there was declining membership due to this megachurch coming into town. Um, and they would they would bleed all their members to them. And then eventually the megachurch, um, as like an act of charity, almost buys up this parish and kind of absorbs it, but still allows it a certain independence and allows them to keep this liturgical service and they allow them to keep their denomination, even though the megachurch, as pretty much all megachurches are in modern America, are like non-denominational, whatever the hell that means. Uh, yeah, they're evangelical according to yeah. The Wikipedia, yeah. Yeah. Um, so Ethan Hawke, in, even in the small parish, he has this woman come up and she's like, my husband is deep in despair about climate change. And he's, you know, he, he's suicidal and we're, we're expecting a kid. Could you, could you come talk, talk to him? Um, he, it, like they, they meet and this character, uh, when talking to Ethan Hawke, essentially neither of them are able to answer one another. In that he's he's coming from like, hey, here's all this horrible thing that's going to happen that my child is going to live through. Like, how can we like what would God say of us that we're allowing this to happen? Mm-hmm. And Ethan Hawk kind of has these standard Christian answers of like, oh, I don't necessarily know. But, you know, God loves us, yada, yada, yada. And they're kind of talking past each other. But it's very clear that he has kind of infected Ethan Hawke with this line of thinking of like doom and despair a little bit. This character, not Ethan Hawke, later then like commits suicide. Right. Um, mm-hmm. And at the, at the same time, like Ethan Hawke, he is, you, you, oh, he, he's growing closer. I mean, not growing closer, but he's, you know, he's, he's at the mega church and he's essentially doing some stuff with the youth group and he's encountering what is essentially, I would call, like, the, the kind of, like, very politically right-wing co-option of Christianity that you'll find within a lot of modern evangelical thought. You know what I mean? There's this yeah. kid in the youth group who is the son of essentially this oil baron, mm-hmm. you know? And the oil baron takes issue at Ethan Hawke, like, starting to talk about the environment in his sermons because he is paying money to this megachurch, um, he's essentially paying for Ethan Hawke's church yes, to exist. Correct. You know what I mean? And he's like, I don't like you saying all these things about the environment. You know what I mean? I'm, I'll, I'll, I'll rescind my money. And, you know, tensions rise, all of this stuff. And it essentially ends with Ethan Hawke, who is prepared to almost like to, to take on a holy war, to wage jihad against like all of these people destroying the environment. And he 
he he he essentially straps this suicide vest to himself and he's planning on the dedicate on this dedication that is going to take place in his church with all of these essential oil barons to go up there pull the vest and murder all of them right um so it's like a happy film (laughs) yeah yeah. you've seen it (laughs) i've seen it i love it (laughs) you know um and, and it's it's unclear exactly how it ends he might just have essentially like he, he, he doesn't blow people up. He doesn't murder suicide. Mm-hmm. Um, but he might have killed himself. And then he has this vision of the woman who he was consoling named Mary. Very um, <laughs> not, in, not, not important name there. <laughs> you know? Right. Um, right. What did I miss? F- f- fill in the blanks. So, so no, that, that's basically on the money. He is also dying. Uh, which I feel yes. like is important. Yeah. He's like he oh, has right. he has cancer, um, mm-hmm. probably, and he was kind of in a relationship with like he oh, the had, choir director, with the choir director of the mega church, who's like concerned, but he's like kind of gives her the brush off, um, mm-hmm. and he is also I would say romantically like he becomes romantically interested in in Mary Amanda Seafried's character. Yeah. Um in a way that, you know, is, you know, complicated obviously. Um he I think that I mean the I think you hit every other thing on the money. Uh I think it's a uh, because you, in a way the th- great thing that like this movie does that um not to like, you know, beat a dead horse but like in what works really well in Taxi Driver is like the average person wants to root for Ethan for Amanda Seafried to save Ethan Hawke from doom and despair because she couldn't save her husband and you kind of want them to get together because they're both pretty people. Mm-hmm. In, in in Taxi Driver, you kind of root for you know either for him to save Jodie Foster or to you know figure things out in his own life. Like it gives you a, a surface level thing to like be concerned about and then ask deeper, more profound questions. And I feel mm-hmm. like. You know, Card Counter, I don't know if you, have you seen Card Counter? I have not. Card Counter, uh, because uh, Oscar Isaac and Tiffany Haddish have like zero chemistry, (laughs) doesn't work on that front and it asks much more different questions. But we're not talking about that movie. Mm-hmm. Well, it's interesting that you bring up his other films because I was listening to a podcast with him once, which, let me tell you, is slightly difficult to do because he sounds like he's juggling marbles the whole time. He does. Yeah. <laughs> or gargling marbles. Marbles um, and gravel. <laughs> but anyway, he said that he feels like he's making the same film over and over again in a good way. And it's like kind of about himself. And I think that's just really mm-hmm. interesting that his main characters are constantly dealing with probably similar emotional distress that he deals with in his life, but, you know, exaggerated in a cinematic form. Mm-hmm. Um, asking the same question Teresa asked about Tree of Life, why First Reformed? Um, one, it's the, like, its ability to actually understand and kind of sit in this feeling of helplessness um, that I think most people who are i get i guess would like somewhat agree with me politically and who are politically aware like have to essentially stave off to be like relatively functioning members of society mm-hmm. um there there's also the the way that 
in a certain sense, like Schrader's, and I know these first two films that I picked are like very like Christian, if not Christian adjacent. Like you, you had mentioned earlier that you think like First Reformed is more critical of religion, and I disagree. I, I agree, and I disagree. It is. It is critical of like specifically American Christianity and like how have we gone from this like Christian population that was maybe at these smaller parishes that was more potentially politically aware to these massive megachurches that are like to, to, to a certain extent like indistinguishable from like modern like right wing politics, you know? So like the like yes, it is like very condemning of you know Creflo Dollar's church, um, I guess played by Cedric the Entertainer. You know what I mean? Right. But like, um, which is an interesting choice. Yeah. No, no, it, it, it is. But like the, it's it's very it's it's very critical of that. But to a certain extent, it's and like on a certain extent, Ethan Hawke's church offers a counter to that. But at the same time, like Ethan Hawke can get too in the weeds and too in despair so that like they're both incomplete Christianities to a certain extent, both with their own problems, but where one church is bad, the other church is good and vice versa. Right. You know what I mean? In terms of like his, his actual devotion to his parishioners and not to money, Ethan Hawke is actually like he's he's the better pastor. You know what I mean? He's he he's going to people's homes. He's talking to them. He's talking with them when they're at their lowest, when they're in despair. There's no sense that like Cedric the Entertainer's church, all of that stuff, is by people who are lower. If you want prayer at those churches, and this is actually featured in the film, you essentially go to these people that they that they pay to pray. Disconnect between the actual leaders of the church. And the people who are going out and doing Christian things, if that makes sense. At the same time, like Ethan Hawke, like he he gets so obsessed with like Kierkegaard and like Thomas Burton that he like detaches. You know what I mean? And he's like, as Cedric the Entertainer puts it, he's always in the garden or the garden of right. Gethsemane, which, you know, Christ is praying before he's crucified. You know, it's there's a he like he's seriously looking at the good and the bad within Christianity. And he's not necessarily, you know what I mean? It would be Mm -hmm. so easy for him to say, Oh, um, the reason we can't get climate change legislation is because of the Christians. Like, and honestly, if he said that it might be a more successful movie, (laughs) you know, or at the very least it'd be a more commercially viable movie or, but like something that is more complexly looking at this issue. Um, I don't know. I I find compelling. And there's also a certain extent that, and Teresa, you can probably speak to this, like you were raised Catholic Mm -hmm. and you're no longer. Mm -hmm. But to a certain extent, there's certain ways of thinking and looking at the world that you can't unlearn. Yeah. Or that's at least still intriguing and still interesting. And it informs who you are and it informs how you think. So to a certain extent, like I'm someone who was raised in a Christian home who was raised in mega churches, who then actually converted to Catholicism and had this more liturgical, I would say maybe perhaps more intellectually serious faith tradition, and then ultimately left that as well. But like, mm. it fe- you know what I mean? It's mm-hmm. dealing with things that ultimately interest me because of how I was raised. 
Does yeah, that make sense? Yeah, that totally makes like, sense. I, I don't know if this is as universal in the same way that The Tree of Life is. This one feels like a film that was made for me. Yeah, and I think... You know? I think this one, if if you don't have, like, a religious background or any sort of association with that, I think there's a lot of relatable concepts of, like, greed and power True. ruining yeah. things, like ruining mm-hmm. the faith, ruining the church, ruining the climate, <laughs> like, our environment. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, it, it all comes down to our, like, obsessive need for consumerism, capitalism, and even when yeah. you're trying to th- you're thinking you're kind of doing the right thing as a human and like you go to church and you believe in this and i don't know and paul mm-hmm. Schrader, like all his movies don't label things as like good and evil it's you know like all of his characters do some pretty bad things that you would say like that is evil but before mm-hmm. they get to that point like you are so with them on the path that you like yes. almost feel like it's okay <laughs> yeah yeah yeah, and, and that's the thing. Like, and maybe this is part of the reason that, like, I like the movie so much because the I really empathize with Ethan Hawke's character. Mm-hmm. And yeah. there's like a part of me because like, you know how you're saying, like, in the movie you're rooting for him for like Amanda Seyfried to kind of like save him a little bit, and you are a very bad part of me is almost just like, hey, what if he succeeds? What if he blows it you up? You know what mm-hmm. I mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah like, well, like, what if he does it? You know what I mean? And it's. And he's kind of playing with that expectation because he really sets you up to despise the oil baron. Like, right, right. Well, he's 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 almost, a, you know, he's a character of, of despicable. Yeah, he's yeah, he's comically evil. Yeah. You know, he's just the worst, you know. <laughs> right. But um, in a way that's similar to Harvey Keitel in Taxi Driver, like, yeah, I mean, the whole thing, I feel like the most imp- impactful thing about uh, Paul Schrader's work, but in particular um, Tree, Tree of Life, is, you know, there's so many... First Reformed. First Reformed. <laughs> um, anyway. Uh, in First Reformed is, like, he... The voiceover... And it's interesting that voiceover is on the first two of your movies. Um, in, a, in a really meaningful way that it's not traditional voiceover to tell you what... Each voiceover is the thought that's almost akin to prayer. Like if you think, yes. I think about the conversation that um, uh, Ethan Hawke has with Bulk, uh, the 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 big capitalist, uh, mustache twirling villain, um, mm-hmm. and he's like he kind of jumps in in a conversation about like isn't it our responsibility to defend the church or isn't it our responsibility to like lead by example and and then the, you don't really hear what's talked out, you hear his voiceover say like I should know better. Like the person who speaks first is always the one that sounds the most stupid, um, and then like when he's talking about talking to the environmental guy who ultimately killed himself, he says something like, "He's like, I find I found the conversation exhilarating." You know, he is. You're kind of in this kind of like way of thought in both the movies that is like akin almost to like Franny and Zoe style prayer. You know. Mm-hmm. Which is yes. like small mantras, small thoughts, and yeah. in Malik, it's whisper voiceover that's very poetic and beautiful. But mm. in this movie, it's uh, you know, it, it's him keeping a diary, right, mm-hmm. or a journal, yeah, right, which, which he ultimately destroys. <laughs> um, I think we have to move on to our next movie. Okay. <laughs> Çay defa ne maçadı? 
من حالا این نمیگیرم پارهش میگونم یه آخرین دفعت باشه کرده بیر بالا چند دفعه بیر بودم از تو بودم در بیر نگاه کن ببینم چند دفعه سلام سلام اینم من رزانه مزاده اینم مالوه تو این مشتا حواز تو کجا؟ آخه هر دو جوره هم بودم خب من چی کار Okay, you have to intro this one because. Uh... All right, yeah. So um, this movie is called "Where Is the Friend's House" uh, by Abbas Kiristami, an Iranian filmmaker. It's actually part of a loosely based trilogy, like in the same way that like Bergman has his faith trilogy of like Winter Light and Through Glass Dark, Darkly and Silence. You know what I mean? It is a trilogy, but it wasn't conceived as such. You know, right, okay. um, but this film is very different from the previous two, uh, a lot less heady. It's a film kind of about childhood from the perspective of a child. Um, it, and it follows this kid. He's like nine years old. He's in second grader. And uh, the school teacher has been away for a little bit. He comes back and he's kind of like, oh, you guys, uh, everything's in disarray. And he's like very, he's a very strict dis- disciplinarian. And the main character, his, his friend um, has like forgotten his notebook. And uh, the teacher essentially like kind of like humiliates him publicly. And he like asks him, he's like, where is like, why don't you have your notebook? And he says like, I don't know, I lost it. And he makes him repeat himself like three or four times. Um, and he says, like, okay, if you don't have your notebook uh, on next class or if, oh, yeah, like, if you don't have it on your next class, then I'm going to expel you. You know what I mean? And they live in this, like, very small village. So, like, if he gets expelled, like, he literally can't go to school. Mm-hmm. Um, and the main character essentially finds his notebook that is, like, it's in his bag, essentially, once he's already home. And then the entire film is him trying to get this notebook to his friend but he doesn't know where his friend's house is hence the name where is the friend's house <laughs> um but it's 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 really a beautiful kind of humanistic film and it's it's him kind of like engaging with this adult world that kirstami actually makes feel like very alien and cruel almost and harsh and there's really not a single adult character except for one later in the film that actually speaks to this kid trying to get the notebook to his friend like as a human being mm-hmm. you know what i mean like all of these adults are like they're they're busy with their own lives and you know it's it's important to raise your child with discipline which you know sure you know discipline important <laughs> i think it's fine <laughs> um but uh i don't know the way that it makes you feel like a kid again mm-hmm. well, like not not necessarily in a good sense but like do you remember when you were a kid and you're and you know what i mean you you would essentially hit this brick wall in terms of like oh i actually don't have any power and whatever my parents say goes or whatever the teacher says goes even if i'm right even if i feel like they haven't listened to what i'm saying in the slightest right yeah 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 of course um and, and to a certain extent, this kind of like, I think there's like a, maybe a small tie-in to like the tree of life and that like Brad's, Brad Pitt's character is so separate from the children because he's living in this world of adults. 
You know what I mean? And he's striving. He's trying to invent. He's trying to be, as he says, a big man. Right. You right. know, and right. because of that, there is this not only this disconnect, but there is this overly severe way of like dealing with his children that like kind of wounds them a little bit. But um, well, definitely Sean Penn's character carries those wounds exactly. to adulthood. Exactly. Um, so that's where is the friend's house, why I like it. It is very, it's very slow. It's very quiet. Um, but for someone to take so seriously what might appear to be the small plight of a child and make like, uh, like an 85 minute movie out of it, that is like, it's, it's really, really wonderful. Yeah. Uh, It'll, you'll definitely feel better after watching this than you would first reform. <laughs> you know, good enough. if you want to feel good and you want to feel like humanist at the end, watch this. It feels it's amazing. Yeah. I feel like he found the house. He, found <laughs> he, he, he did it. He did it. He did it. Yeah, His problems alert. are solved. Finds, yeah. He finds the house. He gives them the notebook. They go to school the next day and nothing bad happens. It's amazing. Mm. Yeah. I like that concept. It, of- it feels like a triumph. <laughs> I really like that concept of like a child's biggest worry is, you know, where is his notebook? Because his teacher said like, who, who knows if they had actually expel him or not. But yeah. his teacher said, oh, you're going to get expelled if you don't bring it. Like, it's like his whole world. Yeah. And that's and, where and like thing, that childhood he, thing comes in. He's yeah. And he's never able to explain it to any of the adults except for one and ultimately the character who gets him to the house like he tries explaining the story and it's like it's quite funny in two senses because he explains it like a kid and he's just <laughs> including all of this extraneous detail that like doesn't matter and you know he, he's not getting down to brass tacks and he never gets halfway through explaining it to a single person <laughs> you know like he like he talks to his parents and he's just like no i need they're like what are you talking about but like, and then eventually they're like, okay, you need to go pick up bread, which he uses as an excuse to find the friend's house. Uh, you know? uh, yeah. I mean, can you think of a movie that is like, I mean, can you think of a movie that's like, there's, there's very few limited children perspective movies um, mm-hmm. that I can, I can think of one, but what do you think? Where do you think of? I'm thinking of Ratcatcher. I haven't seen it. Uh, Ratcatcher mm-hmm. by Lynn Ramsey. Uh, mm-hmm. Is a movie that's allegedly in English. Uh, it is not. Uh, it is. It is. It's, their Irish accents are th- so thick, and then they use Gaelic slang, and you know. You're gonna offend our biggest podcast fan. I'm sorry, Oshin. Um, but uh, it, it's interesting. The movies from a child's perspective are hard to do because you always. I can imagine when you're making them and writing them, you get into situations where you need an adult's perspective, or uh, or at least a, or an omniscient perspective on the situation to help. The thing happen um and you know slice of life movies are, are hard to make and i feel like slice of, slice of life movies now are fewer and farther between they deal more with you know 20 somethings like if you think of uh, yeah mm-hmm. um what's the uh american honey no yes no In, yeah, yeah 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 american honey with shia labeouf um mm-hmm. it's you know not a bad movie by any means but it's very i don't know it takes a you know the adult movies for kids. Uh, 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 sorry, re- reverse that. Movies that center around kids for adults to appreciate are not a fruitful genre. But when they're done well, they can be wildly entertaining. Yes. Yeah. And yeah. It's 
Yeah, because like like now that I'm thinking to like like the question for all of these films is like why did you pick it? Like I can't think of a film that because like yeah, there's films that are maybe for adults that are about children. You know what I mean? But this is like, but it's still from the adults' perspective, right? Right. You know what I mean? This is a film for adults and kids about children from a child's perspective, you know? And it's also, like, shot in that, like, you know, you're looking up at the characters, you know what I mean? Like, the camera's mm-hmm. really far down when he's talking to adults. That's it is, cool. like, from it is from his point of view at a lot of times. Um, and I can't think of a film that is, like, truly from the child's perspective that, like, resonated and brought back all of these memories of, like, oh, yeah, I forgot what it was like to be nine years old. Or a lot of what it meant. You know what I mean? We, we, we take for granted the agency we have now. Mm-hmm. Right. How, how old were you when you saw this? Oh, this? Yeah. Oh, I was probably like 26. So, so relatively recently. Um, yeah. It's interesting. Uh, you know, you, when you see movies about children, you're right. There are very few that are like geared towards both from a child's perspective. I mean... Thinking about Lean on Me as a movie mm-hmm. that's essentially from, I mean, I, I think they're probably like 10, 12. They're yeah. young. They're young. I they're, think so. I've never seen it. It's, <laughs> it's like based not, on the Stephen King. Yeah. Novel, yeah, right? yeah. 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 And, mm-hmm. and at the end, they're, they get a little voiceover and they're dead. Um, but, you know, like, spoiler. Rude. <laughs> <laughs> um, but Lean on Me is, to me, it's like a. A, a, a coming of age movie that a lot of people really, really enjoy. Are you peeing? <laughs> no, I'm sorry. I'm getting some water. My yeah. throat's getting my. I'm so yeah, sorry. Uh-huh, my, th- uh-huh. my throat's uh-huh. getting parched. Sorry, let me sip this water. <laughs> Here, I'll turn you down. Yeah, yeah. Sorry, I'm done. <laughs> I'm not used to talking this much, you know. Yeah, yeah. I live, oh, yeah. I live my life in relative silence. <laughs> You, you wave your arms and then say, play the right notes, yeah. and then you wave your arms some Yeah, more. exactly. I wave my arms. I'm just like, eh, you know, look up, uh, you know, play better. <laughs> Do more good. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. This is not, not good, not great. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know, I, I would play it more accurately, but, uh, you know, keep going. Yeah. <laughs> so anyway, you're talking about Lean on Me. No, no, fuck that. Uh, <laughs> I, I have a question for you, because... Yeah. Um, you know, when I, I am not as accomplished a musician as you are, obviously, but um, I spend a fair amount of time in dealing in the musical world um, in it from a playing and leading ensembles perspective. And something that you and I have talked a lot about of, about is the similarities between like directing and leading a production, like critiquing artists yes. is critiquing artists. Um, yes. And how do, you, how, how do you deal with that? Because I've seen some of the world's greatest conductors not rehearse, any, rehearse minimally and say some words to the orchestra that all, all of a sudden the performance is astounding. And I've seen people who are like taskmasters and make the first violins do something over and over again. Yeah. Um, how do you feel like those two worlds compare? Um, well, it's, it's, it's a good question. Um, and it's... It's, it's, it's a little tied to personality in a certain sense. Like, conductors conduct like themselves, you know what I mean? And, and they rehearse like themselves. But um, there, I guess the fundamental difference between the, the, those two types 
and, and this may or may not be answering the question, but it's the the conductors in the first category that that you know they're conducting, then they might say something, and then the sound completely changes. Um, not only are they more collaborative, but they're carrying a belief within themselves at, at every single moment in their life. They deeply believe that every single person who they are working with wants to be there and wants to make good art. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And if that is the, you know what I mean? And then you watch these, well, like, for example, like, you know, like, you know, you get to watch Fabio Luisi in rehearsal. You know what I mean? Right. He's... He knows that they want to be good. He knows that they want to be unified. And he knows that they're artists. And he knows they will play the best when he allows them to do so and guides them all together into this more cohesive structure. Um, You know what I mean? And the musicians get, I don't know, they can feel it. The artists can feel it. Like when there's that, when there's the adversarial nature you know what i mean like the previous music director of dallas yap von sweden like he was like famous for just going on these tyrannical rants against like certain members of the orchestra right you know it's like like the taskmasters you know and i don't know it's i i know i'm i'm getting far further and further away from your question but it's yeah no you kind well, of I... you kind of blew my mind with that statement because i put it in the context of like being a director because that's the world I know mm-hmm. and you're completely right it's like the faith in the other humans that you're working with that they want to be there and they want to give you the best product they can possibly give and that the like most direct route to that is working together versus like having any kind of closed mindedness yeah yeah and it's it, it's also very difficult because like good conductors are they will get, to a certain extent, their large interpretation of the piece. Like, that's what the orchestra is going to play. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Um, like, they're, they're the people who are, they have the best ears in that they're, like, standing in the best spot where they can observe the entire orchestra, not necessarily that their ears are better than any individual members of the mm-hmm. orchestra. Right, you know, right they have the big picture. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. You know, and it's the... Well, like, and the difficult thing, if you're doing the thing where you like trust the actors or you trust the musicians, it's like, how do you guide in a way that still allows them space to be themselves and to bring their own artist artistry to it? Like to know when to make them conform and to know when to let them loose, mm-hmm. you know, like that's. That's the difficulty of that style of leadership. If you're the taskmaster, that's very easy. You just make them play exactly how you want. Yeah. But granted, then, you, you know what I mean? Then you're the taskmaster and, you know, you, you might be, um, you might like border on like abusive behavior. <laughs> right, right. You know? And, and I think it's always like, on either perspective, sincerity is the only the only you know like the bedrock of both of both perspectives are Absolutely, sincerity. Yeah. So if you are a taskmaster by nature, but you're trying to be collaborative, it's going to fail you, you know, in a in a, in a mm-hmm. way. Whereas if you are a collaborative nature, but you try to be taskmastery, it's like I think both things are, you know, you, you if you because yeah, I've encountered people in leadership roles um, mm-hmm. who try to be collaborative. And you can just tell that they're trying to undermine you at the same time. Like, you know, they don't. Yes. You know, mm-hmm. and leadership is hard. 
because like at the at the core of it like they people do need to be led in, in groups whether they're two people yeah. or five people like people need to be led and i think like you know leadership is not for everyone i mean you know i think that's uh you know what i mean yeah no i mean leadership mm-hmm. isn't fun because you can't you can't say something that is the right thing to say for everybody in the room you know what i mean like you can't make a decision that is the correct decision for every single person you know there will always be people be displeased with how you handle the situation you know for sure and i mean i as a as a person who's done both leadership roles in music and in and and movies I feel like I have evolved my leadership strategy to a different place of like, you know, trying to be more ephemeral and talk in metaphors to allow them to do their thing, to allow them to do their thing. Yeah. However, when you encounter someone who wants, tell me to do it faster, tell me to do it slower, tell me to do it more aggressive, tell me to do it less yes. aggressive. Yeah. yeah. It is like sucking the air out of a room is, or, you know, sucking the air out of a room where the club, like, it's so hard when you encounter someone who is just an asshole and wants to like suck the air out of the room. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's all like a big relationship. Like (laughs) with like however many people you're working with, it's like, I have to deal with all these different personalities and perspectives and, you know, and it's like, what's the best, often the best way to deal with everyone on an individual level is to like, suss out like ask questions to get them to get to the answer instead of you saying this is how it's supposed to be done because they're yeah. going to give you the answer that they understand and then you get to understand what they their thought process yes yes and like the answer they give you will be it'll always be better than what you wanted almost mm-hmm. you know what i mean almost all the time it's going to be better yeah you know right right yeah i think that uh I think that our, your leadership style and my leadership style are like cousins. You know, I mean, I I, I feel yeah. like watching you rehearse the musicians for the short film was really interesting because there's things that I would have done differently. Um, like, no, there's no concrete examples of the things you did wrong. It was just interesting to watch you exist in the world that you exist in. Um, and, and because, like, it's allows me to have, like, a bird's eye perspective on, like, oh, like, we're headed for the same, you got to the same destination I would have wanted to get to. But you chose a much different route, and maybe your route was more efficient anyway. Um, well, it's it's more efficient for me. That's the only potential thing you could actually say, you know? Right, exactly. It's, yeah. Um, Man, it's, it's so tricky. It is tricky. And like John Cage said, uh, when we die, we'll be in perfect condition. <laughs> That's funny. <laughs> you know what I just realized while you guys are talking? The short film that you you worked on together was shot in one of the same locations as uh, oh, Tree of Tree Life. Of Life. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, amazing. And that's the shot like that Andrew was referencing that makes you look so good is you from below looking and the stained glass is above you and it's just very majestic. Yeah. <laughs> oh, and yes. you could you know follow Obscure Broadcasting oh. Company on Instagram and we will post this photo. Yes. Oh, wow. Wow. At Obscure Broadcasting Co. Yeah, yeah. Tag me in that. I'll put it on my story. Okay. Okay, wow. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. My my entire 300 followers. (laughs) Oh, that's sad. 
<laughs> because it's not much more less than we have. Um, Luck. <laughs> so moving on to our last trail, man. I know we're, we're, yes. we're we've gone long in the tooth here. So if you're still with us, thank you. Why do you want to be a lobby boy? Who wouldn't? At the Grand Budapest, sir. And so my life began. Junior lobby boy in training under the strict command of Monsieur Gustav H. Many of the hotel's most valued and distinguished guests came for him. I love you. I love you. She was dynamite in the sack, by the way. She was 84. Mm, I've had older. This was also when I met Agatha. She's charming. She's so charming. Is he flirting with you? Yes. I approve of this union. I became his pupil, and he was to be my counselor and guardian. The police are here. Is from 2014, uh, Wes Anderson's The Grand Budapest Hotel. So, my question for you, uh, Nathan Howard, is where's the Christianity in this movie? <laughs> um, I don't, that's a great question. Uh, I don't think it's anywhere. Um, you know, right. May, may, maybe in the architectural tradition, I have no idea. <laughs> right. Yeah. There's, there's lots of domes and spires in this movie. So, you know. Yeah. 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 Um, well, they, they, they did say Turkish baths. You know, I mean, that's not necessarily Christian. Right. That's true. Uh, scandal. Uh, um, so Wes Anderson is another person who we were talking about earlier in our conversation about people who are you don't go see the you know you don't go see the new Jeffrey Wright movie to see what he's acting in you go to see the new Wes Anderson movie yeah. you don't go see Edward Norton you don't see Jason Schwartzman you go to see the new Wes Anderson movie yeah. so you know you're Wes, the Grand Budapest Hotel for me at the time I think a lot of people regard it as the high watermark, and I don't want to commit to that necessarily because I think I like Moonrise Kingdom better. Um, mm -hmm. But it is a high watermark for sure, yeah. especially in all of the films since of his since Grand Budapest. I think Grand Budapest blows them out of water. Yeah, for sure. Not that they're bad, but like, yeah, it's his aesthetic on like full perfect, not too much, not. Well, it's a lot. Let's just say that. But it's not like, yeah, it's on the mark with his aesthetic, I guess. Yeah, yeah, and it's 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 on the mark in his aesthetic, but it's it feels more personal. Yeah, and it and and there's a lot more darkness mm. in it, um, and it feels it doesn't feel like an exercise. Like some sometimes the like, have you seen Asteroid City? No, have you? Not yet. Oh, I saw it last night. Oh, how was so it? I'm still. I liked it. I mean, I liked it more than um, the French Dispatch for sure, and I liked it more than Isle of Dogs. It's probably my. Granted, I've only like I, I haven't even had 24 hours to think about it, but like, it's my favorite of his that he's done since um, Grand Budapest Hotel. So of those three, it, you like the most? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, you know, I know, I know. High praise from me over here, but it, 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 it's, it it's interesting because. Uh, you know, um, for, we all have barometers of which we judge movies by, right? You know, mm -hmm. like letterbox scores or IMDb scores or mm -hmm. um, Rotten Tomatoes. And it's interesting to me that a new Wes Anderson movie came out and it doesn't immediately have like a 9.2 on IMDb. Um, yeah, yeah. This movie, I feel like Grand Budapest Hotel has almost a million people have rated on IMDb and it's at 8.1 still. Yeah, wow. like it's it's so good. Well, related um, related to your point about how it felt personal and a little bit deeper, 
um are you like where are you on the um royal tenenbaums spectrum because some people like love that movie and some people are like eh. okay i actually quite like the royal tenenbaums me too, <laughs> me too. um like i like rushmore a lot mm-hmm. i like the darjeeling or the darjeeling limited a lot i like i mean honestly i like all of the all of the early stuff quite a bit mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and granted some of that might be like because of the time that I saw them because you know like I, I was going off to college and I was starting to like discover movies I liked completely independent of other sources you know mm-hmm. and I, I feel like there's a certain age when you like you watch Wes Anderson and you're like I'm quirky <laughs> um, <laughs> but you know what I mean and but it, but but there's actually like a, there's there's solid meat on those movies bones you yeah. know what I mean it's like they're 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 quite good and they have this fun rather quirky but yet very very accessible style you know so like they're close to me in that sense that it was like when i started to get into film he was like one of the like the early people that i just like blitzed through all of his movies and i'd like rewatch them constantly yeah yeah i feel that way with those three films or especially darjean limited and like Mm -hmm. royal tenenbaums where it's like they're so devastating but there's like pink frosting on top (laughs) exactly yes yeah because I saw Royal Tenenbaums when I was, like, 15 years old, and it was the perfect moment to see that because oh. it just, like, wrecked me. <laughs> also, you, no, exactly. But also, little fun fact. You know, like, one of Ben Stiller's kids? Mm-hmm. It's Timothy Chalamet. <gasps> Is it really? Fact check me on that. Like, look it up right now. I'm looking it up right now. What? Um, it could, um, yeah. Crazy. Well, we're, we're fact checking you. Um I think also the thing about uh, the, 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 the Wes Anderson spectrum of movies, and uh, I'm going to stop my search and then continue my search while you respond to what I say. Oh, no. I um, just fact-checked. I lied. You did lie. You, you, <laughs> I, can, you, can you edit that in post, please? Yeah, yeah, definitely. That's, yeah, we'll that, yeah, that's, go- that's gone for sure. That's gone. Thank you. Yeah, uh-huh. I'm not going to show anybody this podcast. Okay. Just me being an idiot. <laughs> it might be our promo now. <laughs> um, so, no, what I was going to say was, um, <clears throat> in uh, to, to judge Wes Anderson, I think there's the movies that are the each the West Anderson's best is hiding the humanistic question at the center. So Royal yes. Tenenbaums is the question is, um, you know, what does it mean to have family? What does it mean to have an absent father? What does it mean? Like, how do you define relationship with your parents? Is mm-hmm. like quasi the question at the center of it. You know, mm-hmm. what is family? Um, yeah. And this movie is near the center that it likes. The style is not too much that overwhelms the story. But I think a movie that is like more too much emotion, like the emotion doesn't justify the style, even though I love it, is Darjeeling Limited, is more about the dramatic question of like, again, what is family? But who are my brothers? Who am I? What, who is our father? And Darjeeling Limited is farther on the spectrum towards the side of like the dramatic question. And then movies like, the life aquatic are all the way on the other <laughs> side which are the dramatic question is uh what and it is more him wanting to like do his miniatures do his stop motion like you know the style overwhelms the question to a degree of like absurdity mm-hmm. and to me like those are the movies on that spec like you know 
all the way on one side is the Life Aquatic and French Dispatch. And then, yeah. you know, Darjeeling Limited is diametrically opposed to the Life Aquatic. And yes. At yeah, the, I, I could, yes. At mm-hmm. the center, which is maybe where his movies are most successful, is the Grand Budapest Hotel. Because I feel, yes. I feel like it's like finding your... His, he must have a weird relationship with his father. Um, <laughs> yeah. Because well, that's well, what the movie's the, about. Nice segue. Yes. Well, like, yes. <laughs> like, I, I guess like in, in the um, Grand Budapest Hotel, like one of the reasons I think it's my favorite is that the having this ornate style and these miniatures plays into the story so much more. There's like that final discussion at the end to where, you know... I think the world Ray finds this character. I think the world Ray finds this character lived he, like lived in, like perhaps never existed. You know right. what I mean? But he kept up the illusion with marvelous grace. You know what I mean? Like so, having this like pristine image of the hotel and the fantastical nature of like their lives, like it is constantly being assaulted by essentially like fascism you know or like right, the, right. like the loot like the, like this actual real life violence and it is very interesting that i think this is like his most violent film and it's constantly interrupting this very idyllic beautiful set dressing that Wes anderson is known for you know what i mean so like mm-hmm. like the style is such an integral part of the story and um it, yeah it's an interesting thing because i i read somewhere I forget where, I think it was maybe in the Criterion commentary about Moonrise Kingdom. I'm, I'm mis- I am I don't know where it came from, but it came somewhere <laughs> from inside knowledge. And it was like, the question is, can people die in our movies? And it's, it's, it was Owen Wilson asking that question, is can people die in our movies? And there was no answer to the question, but Grand Budapest Hotel is really interesting because... You know, you have F. Murray Abraham as the old adult zero talking to mm-hmm. Jude Law, the young Tom Wilkinson. And he says, well, what happened in the end? And it's this whole idealized thing. In the end, they shot him. Like, yeah. in the end, he yeah. was just like, you know, he was the bourgeois and some fascist, you know, rebel state took over the country and, and killed all the rich people. Yeah. Yeah. And it's an interesting thing because you do, like as for as many guns are shot in the movie, like no one, there's no actual <laughs> death to main characters on screen. But it's such a poignant mm-hmm. mo- moment in the movie because it's like again, it's the childlike fantasy of youth. Yeah, yeah, and, and I think he also like he he messes with like like black and white and aspect well, like that scene when then they're pulled over essentially at this checkpoint for Zero's papers and Ray Fiennes fights them and that scene is it's not shot in black black and white but it is so dark and right. there's almost no color whatsoever right right you know? it, it's using the set his hyper realized set design to like be monochromatic yeah uh, versus yeah. his his memories of his of Cersei Rowan uh, which are like yeah which are pastel beautiful. pinks and blues and yellows you know it's yeah and these beautiful cakes. Yeah. Right. Right. You know? <laughs> yeah. Man, I haven't seen this film in a while. I want to watch it again. It's very good. Yeah. We saw this one in theaters as part of a triple feature. Do you want oh, to say a what? Triple feature? Do you want to say what the other films Why would were? Why do you do that? <laughs> uh, well, because we it was the end of our triple feature, 
and we were okay. doing a project where we I was writing a score for the first movie they'd ever shown at that movie theater. Okay. Well, they let us sit there for free, so it was like, well, yeah, we'll Why watch not? three movies in a row. Yeah, yeah, we were like 24, 3. Oh, that's fair. You still, yeah. But well, what it, was, it wasn't like we did this a year ago. No, yeah, I thought... yeah, yeah. Like, the, the butt and the back are much... Um... <laughs> They're much more capable. <laughs> yeah, only young people's butts and backs can sit in a art house movie theater for for um, six hours. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, should we say what the rest of the? Yeah, what was the other? Uh, Nymphomaniac Part One and Two. Oh, I hate you so much. Are they, are they, God, if you tell me they were the director's cuts, I will kill you. <laughs> I, I don't. I don't think, think so. so. No, you know no, what would, that be would be funny be if they were if they were both the director's cuts and you saw Part One, Grand Budapest Hotel, <laughs> Part Two. <laughs> was it both parts or was it just Part Two? Okay, you, no, I don't you know. Can, it was amazing. You can edit this out, but like, if there is the scene where you see an abortion in *Nymphomaniac* Part Two, that's the director's cut. No, no, I don't think I don't think okay. we did. I haven't seen it. I just know it exists, and you know, there's a certain amount. Like, I actually quite like a lot of Lars von Trier. There's some stuff that he does that I'm like, I don't need to see that. Yeah, yeah. You know, like I'm. Have you seen I, *Antichrist*? I have a weak stomach. I have. I think the stroke of genius, like, see it, because a lot of people think see Lars von Trier movies at home, like, or on streaming or wherever they see them. Yeah. They don't see them in movie theaters. You could mm-hmm. feel in the room mm-hmm. the people who had seen Antichrist when they start the whole, the, the handle starts and oh, the kid I is know. on his own oh, and it's in black and white and he's mm-hmm. going to fall, he's going to, like, it's so that was such a brilliant stroke of genius dude no one hates their audience more than (laughs) lars von Trier. like he has such utter disdain he does and we're all we're all pain piggies and we keep coming back (laughs) you know what i mean it's 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 i i'm not proud that i keep watching lars (laughs) you know by by far my favorite one is melancholia because it's like so chill compared to everything else for me it's melancholia or breaking the waves. Yeah, for yeah. me, it's breaking the waves. Oh, that one still disturbs me. Different ways. We don't need bells in our church to pray. <laughs> yeah. Well, well, well Nathan, <laughs> we, we we went from Tree of Life to uh, Antichrist. Antichrist. Why did Why did we have to end there? We should. We, it was supposed to be these nice miniatures and beautiful pastel colors. <laughs> well, <laughs> life ain't like that. <laughs> Yeah. the breaks. Well, I mean, to be fair, we were talking about like the creeping darkness that keeps assaulting this image in Grand Budapest. So you know, True. I guess. Right, right. Chaos what a way reigns. to end it. Chaos. Oh my god, that terror! When I saw that the first time, I freaked out. Like, and it's not a jump scare. It was just so deeply unsettling and so unexpected because it's so obviously a puppet. Right, right. You know, like it's oh. Scary. I still, I've still only seen that movie once. You remember, um, do you remember when the the fad of what does the fox say went around? Oh, <laughs> yeah. oh yeah, I remember that. Yeah, and they they had the chaos reigns memes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's that that's awesome. all. That's all I thought of. Yeah, those were cool. Those were cool memes to show your friends, and if they didn't get it, you'd be like, "Oh, well, I've seen Antichrist." <laughs> you know? Yeah. <laughs> Oh, oh man. man! Well, thank you so much for doing it, Nathan. Yeah, no, this is a lot of fun. Agreed. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> hey, 
I don't like that silence. I know. I was looking at Andrew. I was like, are you going to ramp this up or what? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Well, we've got a double overtime, so... Okay, time, fantastic. Time, time to hit that old dusty trail. All right. All right. Talk to you later, Nathan. All right. See y'all. Bye. Bye.